SportsTalk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Should be a very, very good one here tonight, as primarily we're going to talk about football, professional football, and college football. And we're going to do that with one of the female reporters from NFLFemale.com, Sharona. She's also got three shows of her own. We're going to bring her in here to talk about the NFL, Roger Goodell, Ray Rice, the Tennessee Titans, Zach Mettenberger, Marcus Mariota. We're just going to run the gamut in the NFL tonight with Sharona. She's my guest here this evening on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. But boy, we're going to look at just about everything. We're also going to look at the Major League Baseball playoff chase where the Cleveland Indians are starting to make some noise. We're going to see just how they do here over the next few days and just how close they are going to come to making the Major League Baseball playoffs as that last wild card team. And a very well-known baseball announcer has died. We're going to look at all that plus more coming up on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. You can chime in with whatever you want to talk about here this evening on the show. You can do that just simply by emailing me at dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can send me a tweet. My Twitter address is at ohbbcohost. So we're going to take a look at all that. Plus, the NFL is going on tonight. But first... hate to do this, but the Cleveland Browns, are they ever going to win? They've been back in town since 1999, and the fact of the matter is is that this team is one of the absolute worst teams in the NFL. Maybe not so much team, but organization. They are one of the worst organizations in the NFL. And it started out in 1999, and it just has not gotten any better. And it's not going to get any better under this current regime with Jimmy Haslam as the owner, Ray Farmer as the GM, and Mike Pettin as the coach. Now, I'm a Mike Pettin fan. I like Pettin. I've told you that time and time again. I think Mike Pettin is a good football coach. But the fact of the matter remains, if you can't put players on the field, you are not going to be a winning team. And Ray Farmer has proven through four first-round draft picks that he has had over the first two years of his regime, that he can't put players on the team. He can't put players on the field. Let's just look at it. Two years ago, Justin Gilbert, the number eight pick overall at corner for the Cleveland Browns. He was inactive in last Sunday's game. Why? Because of a road rage incident that occurred on Friday, and he was inactive. This guy cannot play football. The number two pick, Johnny Manziel, in the first round two years ago. Well, he did come in and throw a touchdown pass to Benjamin. But he did nothing after that. He committed three fumbles and didn't even complete 50% of his passes. Johnny Manziel is this. Bill Parcells said it best. He is, at best, an NFL mascot. At best. He cannot throw the out pattern to the sideline. Did you see the pass that he tried to throw to Brian Hartline on the sideline twice in that game against the Jets last week? 
it takes forever for that ball to get there. He doesn't have a Russell Wilson arm where he just steps back, boom, ball is in your hands as the wide receiver over on the sideline. No. When Johnny Manziel drops back, he's got to wind up, he's got to throw the ball, and it takes forever for it to reach the sideline. And the Jets cornerbacks jumped the routes and knocked them down. If the Jets wouldn't have been playing 10 to 12 yards off of the Browns receivers, they would have had interceptions. And it would have been a lot worse for the Browns than the loss that they sustained in Giants and the Meadowlands. It's not a pretty sight for the Browns right now. They have no running backs. For some reason, Ray Farmer thinks that he could just pluck somebody off the street and bring in and put him at running back or at wide receiver. Ray Farmer thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't need to go to pro draft days for college athletes. He doesn't need to sit in the scout rooms to take a look at what's going on. He just looks at a board and whatever name pops into his head at the time, that's who he drafts. And it has shown over the first two years of drafts. Danny Shelton, hey, we all thought that he was going to be a great pick after his preseason, didn't we? We thought, boy, Ray Farmer finally hit a home run. Until he went up against an all-pro center in Nick Mangold from the New York Jets. Boy, once that happened, Danny Shelton looked like some overweight guy that could play nose tackle and not move anybody around. And that's exactly what it was. And Cam Irving, yeah, they brought him in on a couple of jumbo packages. He was the second number one pick for the Browns this year. Yeah, believe it or not, the Browns have had two years, two consecutive years of number one picks where they've had two number one picks. And none of the four are any good. None of the four are making an impact on this football team. Johnny Manziel's the one that the crowd wants to make an impact on this team, and he can't do it. He doesn't have the arm strength. He doesn't have the head. He doesn't have the football knowledge. I thought that it was said best by Merrill Hodge earlier this week on ESPN. When Manziel gets into trouble, he goes back to his natural instinct, which is to run, to get his feet going. He's got happy feet. If he can go through his progressions and the number one receiver is open, he's fine, which is exactly what happened while Kelvin Benjamin scored that touchdown on Sunday against the Jets in the second quarter. That's what happened. He was his number one progression. That's where he threw the ball. The Browns scored a touchdown. But when he's got to go through his number two, number three, number four in the progressions, that is where Manziel loses it. And that is where he is not going to be an NFL-type quarterback. He just can't do it. The offensive line was mud on Sunday. They just could not open up the holes for Isaiah Crowell or Duke Johnson to run through. Quite honestly, I don't think Duke Johnson is that great. We're going to talk to Sharona here in just a few minutes. And Sharona thinks that Duke Johnson may be a pretty decent running back for the Browns. But she's got the same question that I've got. With this great offensive line that the Browns supposedly have, why can't they run the football? And my whole intention is is that they can't run the football because they don't commit to running the football. Running backs in the NFL do not gain four yards a carry on each and every carry. 
Running backs in the NFL gain one to two yards a carry, and then bust one for 15, 20, 25, 30 yards. And then they're back to one or two carries. But in the second half is when they make hay with their running game. That's when they start picking up their yardage. But the Browns don't do that. They ran Crowell ten times in the ballgame. The leading rusher was Johnny Manziel, and that was on scrambles. Duke Johnson was non-existent. Duke Johnson was a cartoon caricature down in Miami of Florida. When he was on the field, he played well. But he was hardly ever on the field because of injuries. And that's the way it's been for the Browns so far this year with Duke Johnson. You just cannot do it. And what was going through Josh McCown's head trying to dive into the end zone? I get it. I kind of understand it. But Johnny Menzel had not practiced for the entire week. The first time he threw a football was late Thursday and Friday prior to the game. And then he had to come in. This week, ESPN made a big deal about how Johnny Manziel has taken all the first-team reps, which is not exactly true. Austin Davis, the quarterback that they picked up from the Rams on the last week of training camp, has taken half of the reps with the first team. But he wasn't even active for the game on Sunday. Why? Because according to Mike Patton, he didn't know the playbook. Well, Austin Davis has started nine games in the NFL. He's gone five and four last year with the Rams. Are you telling me that he needed buku time to look over the playbook and learn it for the Browns? That he couldn't go in there and play just as well, if not better, than Johnny Manziel did? I submit to you that he could have. I am not a Manziel fan. I don't think Johnny Manziel is going to be an NFL quarterback, and I think it's absolutely putrid what the Browns are doing with this. They just don't seem to be able to put a winning team on the football field, and I lay it right at the feet of Jimmy Haslam, who's been there for three years. He's had two GMs, two head coaches, two offensive coordinators now, actually three offensive coordinators now. This organization is one that just is not going to make it. And I think the only thing that the Browns can do is get rid of Ray Farmer. They can probably win with Jimmy Haslam, but they need somebody in the GM's job that actually wants to be a GM and not just sit there and say, I'm a GM in the league. That's what they need. And the Browns are going to be playing this weekend against the Tennessee Titans, which means now we get a chance to talk about Titans football, because the Titans came out, and boy, did they look good against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the weekend. Marcus Mariota, the number two pick in the draft, and the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, won in a head-to-head competition against the Heisman Trophy winner a year ago, and the number one pick in Jameis Winston. Winston did not look good. Mariota looked very, very good. And Tennessee's got a quarterback down there in Zach Mettenberger, their backup quarterback, that I would love to see in brown and orange with the Cleveland Browns. Will we see it? Let's go in and talk to Sharona from the NFLfemale.com and her three shows and find out her thoughts on what's going on in the NFL today. I always enjoy having people on from NFL Female, and this one is their NFL reporter and the host of three shows, Game Over Sports, the NFL Zone Blitz, and the Sharona Show, which almost sounds like the gong show, but we won't go into that. (laughs) Here's Sharona. Sharona, how are you tonight? Thanks for joining us. I'm great. Thanks for having me. 
Well, I wanted to get your opinions, first of all, on the big Heisman Trophy matchup over the weekend between Marcus Mariota and Jameis Winston. Mm -hmm. Marcus looked really good in that game last Sunday. Extremely efficient. I thought the Titans did an excellent job of game planning around him and uh, putting him in, in a nice uh, situation to, you know, to, to look good and to win the game. And conversely, I didn't think that the Bucks did that for, uh, for Jameis Winston. You know, tell me about your thoughts coming into that game as to who you thought was the best quarterback between those two. You know, I mean, I think that they both had um, they both have their strengths and their weaknesses, right? Um, both very um, good college quarterbacks. I think that you know the question was which guy was going to to, to transition the 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 quickest and the easiest uh, the the common um, thought process, at least among um, a lot of media members prior to the draft, was that it would. Jameis Winston, it does look like that. It is Marcus Mariota. You know, we did hear during um, the draft process that Marcus Mariota was was working very hard to, um, you know, to learn the game and to correct those deficiencies. And he had worked with a, a quarterback coach, former NFL quarterback, to um, to become more comfortable under center. And, and I think that that um, really paid off for that young man. Who's also now the Browns quarterback coach. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that worked that worked out with Mariota. Okay, I did not know you that. Know, Very good. I was one that was not extremely high on Jameis Winston. How did you feel about him coming out of college, Sharona? Well, uh, off field issues aside, as you know, as simply speaking, as a football player, um, you knew that there were flaws in his game. He's definitely a gamer. Um, you know, Florida State didn't win um, all those games, you know, for nothing. Now they, you know, did have. Um, a, a fairly, I don't want to call it a cheesecake schedule, but, you know, they had some easy games on, on their schedule. But, you know, he's a fantastic talent. And um, I think that given given time and if he's put in the right situation, I think that um, he'll improve and, and he'll um, make a better showing than what he did in week one. What do you think the right situation is for him? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that Levy Smith is the right coach for him. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Levy, Levy Smith, and I'm a fan of Levy Smith. I thought that um, he got a little bit of a raw deal in, in Chicago. But I, but the knock against Levy Smith in Chicago was that he was stubborn and unwilling to change and adapt. And I think that that's, care, you know, I don't know how much he's learned from that experience. We're seeing, you know, I, I think it was Marcus Mariota he can, who came out after uh, Sunday's game and said, you know, they knew everything that the, the defense was throwing at them, and so they were able to scheme around it, and, and that's why he was so successful. They knew the defense, and I, I think that tells you a lot about how teams view Lovey Smith's defense these days. It's, you know, it's the cover two. There's not been, he hasn't made too many adjustments to it, if any, and, and unless he's willing to do that, I, I fear that uh, we're going to see week one over and over and over again. Sharona, is Mariota in the right spot? I hope so. I mean, from week one, it's hard to take too many um, solids, you know, from from just one game. One of my biggest concerns was was Ken Wisenhunt, um, who has a bit of a reputation as a quarterback guru. I'm not sure how well-deserved that is. 
But it does look like maybe he is an old dog learning new tricks and that they are playing to to Mariota's strengths and building an offense that is suited to him and not necessarily suited to what Ken Wisenhunt wants to do. Well, now you've got the Browns coming up mm-hmm. this Sunday, coming into Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But I want to ask, are the Titans as good as what they looked against Tampa Bay? I don't think so. Um, I think that they have the the ability to be a very good team. We'll, we'll know a little bit more, I think, today about Delaney Walker and some of their injury situation. Delaney Walker, a big part of that offense. Um, I think that they are a good team. I, I don't mean to um, denigrate the Cleveland Browns. I wonder exactly what Oh, we'll... go ahead. I do it all the time. <laughs> I don't know what we'll learn from this game. Um, I was, you know, the week, the week one game uh, that the Browns played in was puzzling to me. I, I like Johnny Menzel. You saw some great things. Fortunately, he's going to be okay, and it looks like he's going to be the starter. Um, but he led the team in rushing. What is up with that? You've got Duke Johnson. You've got um, Isaiah Crowell. What, I mean, that you've got the ability to run the ball. You've got a good offensive line. Why didn't you do it? Isaiah, you know, that's a very perplexing question because, you, you know, looking at what Adrian Peterson did on Monday night, against San Francisco, you can almost attribute the same thing to the Browns. Mm -hmm. The Browns, when they commit to the running game, they don't really commit to the running game. And they haven't done it over the last couple of years. You saw in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan on Monday night also how well Matt Ryan Mm -hmm. ran the offense that the Browns ran last year Mm -hmm. under Kyle Shanahan. And the Browns never committed to the running game. And, And most of these running backs in the NFL, in my opinion, Sharona, is... They will garner, they will average on a majority of their runs, two to three yards a carry, and then they'll bust one for -hmm. about 40 or 50 yards, and that'll increase their yards Mm -hmm. per carry. The Browns never give their running backs an opportunity to do that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. A commitment to the run means that you commit to the run, and most running backs will tell you, that um, the more volume they get, the better they get. Uh, And and that was a problem for the Titans last year, too, by the way. Um, They did not commit to the run either. It was very difficult for Bishop Sankey and some of their other running backs to get into any sort of rhythm. And um, and it is very hard to establish a run game unless unless you do just keep at it. It's, it's, It's the kind of thing that you just have to... You can't let um, failure define you. You just have to, you know, keep pushing through. And and if you do that, at some point you're going to it's it's going to happen. Magic happens that way. Sharona, our guest on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show from Game Over Sports, the Sharona Show, NFL Zone Blitz. Sharona, you've got the Browns leading rusher from a year ago, Terrence West, Mm -hmm. on the Titans Mm -hmm. now. What do you think of him on the field? I know about all his off-field stuff, Mm -hmm. but on the field, he's a talent. He's very talented. Uh, Until we saw Bishop Sankey really step up in week one and and have a great game, I was uh, very curious to see if Terrence West might, you know, might not you know, sneak in and, and snag that number one role. I do think, you know, Ken Wisenhunt traditionally, historically, likes to rotate his backfield. He does operate a running back by committee type system, or he has in the past. I expect we'll see that continue to, you know, to to be the thing with him. Um, although, 
you know, one hopes that he might ride the hot hand. We'll see. I do think that Ter- Terrence West has um, an opportunity to to get um, to get some carries. And I, I, my thought process was that he would probably get a lot of goal line carries for them. Okay, I I could see that. You're absolutely right there. You've brought up that you're a fan of Johnny Manziel's. <laughs> Convince me why he is an NFL quarterback. Oh, I'm not convinced he's an NFL quarterback. Um, you know, I am a fan of Johnny Manziel to a point. Um, you know, some of the some of the stuff that he did um, his last year in college, first year in the in the NFL, didn't necessarily agree with simply because I thought that. Um, it detract it detracted from his talent, if that makes any sense. Um, I do think that he's very talented. You know, he is a guy who um, who can create magic. You know, with with his feet and um, with his playmaking ability. However, he is in the big league now, and in 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 the NFL in, in the professional leagues, guys are bigger and faster and stronger. And he's sort of a little shrimp in in that um, in, in in that league, and so we'll see. You know, we've seen. I mean, Drew Brees is still doing his thing down there in New Orleans. You got Russell Wilson in Seattle, and um, so there's definitely room for um, for the underdog, so to speak, to um, you know to. And, and, and Tyrod Taylor, right? He had a lot of success in his first game, and he's not a big guy. So, you know, there is that, um, there's that opportunity, but for every Russell Wilson, there's also a Mike Vick, who was you know, kind of a similar guy, but, you know, injuries just took its toll and, and maybe sort of derailed his career. You know, here's my opinion of why Manziel is so comparable to RG3 in okay. Washington. When when Washington made that trade for RG3, they mortgaged their future, mm-hmm. Sharona. They had nothing left to go out and draft an offensive line to keep this guy mm-hmm. alive. The Browns, on the other hand, they've got the draft picks, they've got the offensive line, mm-hmm. but for some reason the front office has decided that they don't think that the wide receiver exactly. position is a position that they need to go out and replenish. I don't understand the the two front office thoughts about how to sustain whom they think is their top flight quarterback. It's head scratching. It's the Jeff Fisher mode of operation, uh, Fisher ball at its finest. I I don't get it either. I hope that they don't bench young, um, Johnny Menzel. I completely agree. I like Anthony Hawkins, though. Um, That's his name, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and and didn't Brian, I think Brian Hartline had a nice catch for you guys Sunday. He had two catches in the game. He was targeted twice. He did have the one nice one-handed catch. But you know their big acquisition in the in the free agency market was Bo for nine million dollars. He was mm-hmm. inactive for the game. And <laughs> that's crazy. It, it, it's 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 and I you know Dwayne Bo is an interesting guy. Um, I. You know, he's of course he's a guy who has some off the field stuff too. I was not convinced that he was going to be the the answer to the wide receiver position that that the Browns perhaps thought he was. I, I would have liked to have seen them gone in another direction, but you know they did not. And, and I'm with you. I think that if anything, 
does you know inhibit Johnny Menzel's growth it, it will be the fact that and, and and you know they let Jordan Cameron go too and and I didn't understand that either so you know um yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does with what he has it's perplexing and the other thing is you know my thought was before the season began and and I told Greg Mitchell our producer I I spoke about this very freely on the show I wanted the Browns to go after Zach Mettenberger oh, yeah? of Tennessee. I want it. I want that guy as my quarterback. It's time they go out and they sell the farm. <laughs> you know, the fact of the matter is, Ray Farmer. You know, pardon the pun. Ray Farmer's last four number one draft picks have not panned out at all. Mm-hmm. So why not just give away a number one draft pick for a guy that I think is going to be an all-pro quarterback in Mettenberger. What are your thoughts about him? Am I nuts? I you know, I think Zach Mettenberger is very talented. He did um, what what he was able to do, you know, with what he had last year. I th- thought was was fairly impressive. I don't know that the Titans want to give him up. I don't know that they were offered a first-round draft pick. If they were and they didn't take it, they're stupid. Um, <laughs> I agree. Sharona keeps it real, by the way, guys. Um, I I don't. <laughs> I don't think a team did that because it would be incredibly dumb for them not to accept a first-round draft pick for him. That's quite a return on that investment. Um, outside, you know, one or a two, I can understand why they don't want to let him go. Um, quarterbacks have proven to be fairly, fr- especially young quarterbacks. You mentioned RG3. You know, Cam's had his injuries, although he's been overall fairly healthy. Um, it, we could talk about some uh, EJ Manuel in in Buffalo, a guy who was injured his first year. So you know, if you don't have a solid guy behind your number one, you're in trouble anymore. You look at what's going on with the Texans; they they don't even know. I think they'll probably flip a coin. Is it is it Mallet? Is it Hoyer? We don't know. And you know Hoyer better than anybody. You know, I think the Browns' worst nightmare is Brian Hoyer being successful as the quarterback of the Texans. Yeah. I, I think that's their biggest nightmare. Let me move away from these two clubs. Tell me about RG3, and is Washington crazy for keeping him? Uh, it's You know, that situation is, is mind-boggling to me. I don't understand it. Uh, I I think that it would be better for everyone involved for them to to see if they can't work out some sort of trade. You you know that there have to be some teams out there that want him, that, that could use him. Uh, I, I haven't heard of, of anybody um you know there haven't been any leaks in that in that regard but you know he is now demoted to third string they had him on the scout team operating as a safety it's very disrespectful to a guy that was you know drafted in at the number two spot you know back when when he was taken and and the Redskins gave up an incredible amount to get him they're never going to get a return on that investment so it makes sense in my opinion for them to you know, if they can get anything, because everybody knows he's going to be cut next year, right? I mean, I think the, right. hen, the handwriting's on the wall. You know, the the good thing for Washington is RG3's mother is not Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, really? <laughs> I was <laughs> that, that would just be that. a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. do, do you put much stock in the first week and what happened? Well, I mean, it tells you some things, right? Um, it's still just a very small sample size. I don't think that you can – you certainly can't make any um, lasting 
you know, lasting thoughts or lasting opinions about it. But, you know, it's it's part of the analysis. It's part of the process. And so you have definitely have to, you know, to pay attention and, and to see, um, you know, but let's take uh, Monday night in the, the Minnesota Vikings. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, a young guy, young quarterback, entering his second year, never played with Adrian Peterson in a in a game, and so we saw that offense still struggling to to figure out. You know, AP's back, and he's you know this down the field runner, and now they're operating out of the shotgun, and so you see. You know, you see that they're still struggling to to kind of find that identity, and so you, you I mean, you can take that away. Um, conversely, on the other hand, looking at Peyton Manning and the Broncos, um, Peyton definitely looks like time is taking its toll. Uh, very underwhelming performance from him, but you can't. But there are you know 15 more games to play, and what 16? But when you talk about the bye, just for that team. So you can't say, well, Peyton's done because Peyton may not be done. You should never count Peyton Manning out. No, I, I agree with you. But, you know, he, he time is marching on the same way it is for Tom Brady. Are you happy that Deflategate is over? Yeah, I am. Uh, you know, I fell down that wormhole and finally dug my way out of it. I definitely <laughs> think that it's, a, it's still a black mark on the league and it's going to have lasting effect. I think we're seeing it, you know, with – um, how the NFL handled some of the things that happened over the weekend. The NFL discipline process is in disarray. They've got to get it fixed because it is going to, uh, it, it's going to ultimately be a bad thing if they can't. Oh, I, t- I agree with you. So let's talk about one of these guys that was disciplined and really started the discipline problem about a year ago today. And that was the Ray Rice situation. Yes. Now, you as an NFL reporter and as a woman, I'm going to ask you point blank. Do you think Ray Rice deserves a second chance? Yes. Yes, I do. Uh, you know, Ray Rice, listen, Ray Rice did a bad thing. Um, was this the only time that Ray Rice did a bad thing? I'm not sure. Most abusers are repeat offenders. Uh, he and Jan- Janae both have said that this was the, an isolated incident. I think that you take them at their word, even though, you know, you, you, you might still have some lingering doubts. Ray Rice did it the right way, though. You know, he he apologized. Now, not initially, you know, initially what the Ravens and the league did got them in a lot of trouble. And um, it, until that video came out, they were going to get away with it. And then the video came out and. Um, that threw, threw a wrench in things, and, and now everybody knows what domestic violence looks like, and um, they know, you know, that it can have this kind of impact on, you know, on um, a guy. You know, Ray Rice was, um, from all appearances, a model citizen in Baltimore. You know, kind of the face of their franchise, so to speak. You know, beside. Joe Flacco's kind of a laid-back kind of guy, and, and yeah, you know right. Ray Rice was big in that community. Um, but you know, once the video came out and all the the um, backlash started happening, you know he apologized. They've, I think, done a very good job of trying to rehabilitate him. Unfortunately for Ray Rice, the last time he saw the football field, he sucked, and that's why he doesn't have a job. 
Sharona, let me put it to you this way with Ray Rice. How in the world can the NFL owners and Roger Goodell keep him from getting a second chance when they continue to give Roger Goodell chance after chance after chance at getting this stuff right? Mm -hmm. Again, it goes back to talent. And, um, you know, Roger Goodell's interesting. He... I've said this before. I'll say it again. Roger Goodell doesn't do anything without consulting um, the people around him, without consulting the owners. Uh, Deflate Gate was as driven by some of the more powerful owners in the league as anybody. So, yeah, I mean, you can lay that fiasco at his feet, which is fine. That's why he gets paid the big bus. $41 million buys a lot of um, shots of you know, <laughs> snifters of, of, of brandy or, you know, mm-hmm. um, scotch to ease that pain. Uh, he is their fall guy. He is the owner's fall guy. He's the guy that's going to take the brunt of the blame for, for everything, you know, that transpires. Um, why Ray Rice doesn't get a second chance. First of all, again, the last time he saw the football field, he wasn't very good. And second, mm-hmm. teams – you know, Jerry Jones doesn't have need for an aging running back who can may- maybe only get two yards per carry. He's got Greg Hardy. Um, you know, Greg Hardy's still a good football player. He's willing to take a chance there. See, I think Ray Rice, when he comes back, if he comes back, is going to have something to prove. And I think for one year, this guy could really be an outstanding running back. Two or three years, I don't think I'd sign him to a two or three year deal. But for one year, I think he's really got a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, well, it's still early. You know, there are going to be some injuries at the running back position. Uh, it would not shock me to to see Ray Rice get an opportunity this year. It wouldn't shock me that he doesn't either. I mean, it just it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see which team is willing to take that um, PR hit. Who's the most powerful owner in the NFL right now? I think that's a very good question. Um, It's a very good question. I think that there is a behind-the-scenes fight for that. Um, And, you know, at one time you probably would have said it's the Maras in New York, you know, Kraft in in New England. Uh, Jerry Jones still, you know, is is probably up there. Would not – Surprise me, you know, the, uh, the McCaskies, uh, in Chicago, they're still, you know, the Rooneys in Pittsburgh. Um, going to be very, very, very interesting to see. I was talking about the Pagulas this morning on my podcast and, um, it would not, they're still new. You know, they've, they've only owned the Buffalo Bills for roughly about a year. Um, but, you know, they, are an interesting, um, interesting couple. They've done a lot of great things in, in Buffalo. Right now, I would say it's probably between. I think those are the big names. Just a couple more questions. Sharona is our guest on tonight's show. Can the Cleveland Browns? You know more, probably more behind the scenes about Jimmy Haslam than anybody <laughs> I've had on this show. Can the Browns win with Jimmy Haslam as an owner? Yeah, I think so, yes. Um, I think Jimmy Haslam, and I know more about the Haslams than than I like to sometimes, but I think that Jimmy Haslam started out the wrong way, but I think that he is 
um, at least from my perspective. Of course, you don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes with the Cleveland Browns. But I think that he is not going to be Dan Snyder or, or even Jerry Jones early on in his, you know, in his tenure with the Cowboys. Jones is uh, sort of still a meddler, um, so to speak, but I think that he's definitely kind of you know, chilled a little bit and is letting the football people run the deal. If the if the Cleveland Browns are going to be successful under Jimmy Haslam, he's going to have to let the football people run things. You know, the one thing that ever bothered me about Jerry Jones and meddling, he played the game mm-hmm. at a high level. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing, you know, and, and you know, and that never bothered me about him meddling inside the the Dallas Cowboys. But the only thing is, is he got them in dreadful cap situation. Uh, the the cap situation was was that's why I mean for like three or four years they were hampered. They were just um, you know they were not able to. It took them a while. You know the Miles Austin thing, some other things that that we could get into. Uh, they're finally they finally dug themselves out of that. The dead the, their dead money was insane. The dead money that they had on their books was insane, and, and I don't necessarily fault him for some of the things that he did, except that he got them so deep in into that hole that it took them a good two or three years to dig out. Sharona, will there be one team, two teams, no teams in L.A., and why is it so imperative that now? the league have a team in L.A. after not having one there for 22 years? I've said all along it's a circle jerk. All it is, the L.A. thing is, is a way to uh, build taxpayers out of funding new stadiums. And um, I I will still be shocked if we ever see a team in Los Angeles. I I would be surprised. If we, and the only, the only team that makes sense to me is the Raiders. Yeah, but you know what? Um I agree with that, but now we're seeing that, you know, all the the hype and, and, and the hoopla over that has really died down. And it was a terrible idea, by the way, for the Raiders and the Chargers to share a stadium. Yeah, ab- absolutely. One final question away from the NFL. Mm-hmm. Butch Jones is the head coach in Tennessee, <laughs> yeah. and he is catching a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of flack over the last couple of days over that loss to Oklahoma mm-hmm. on Saturday. Did Tennessee play not to lose? Yes. Uh, there's no question that they did. That's, you know, I mean, it's not if they win, it's not a big story, right? Um, you know, a lot and a lot of things happened in that game, not just playing not to, you know, the penalties and. And, and all of that, but um, it's a big year for Butch Jones. I, I like Butch Jones. You know, Butch Jones talks a good game. It's time for Butch Jones to show everyone that he's a good coach, and um, that's that's where we are. I'm not saying that Butch Jones, if, if they don't win the SEC East this year, I'm not saying that Butch Jones deserves to be fired. I am saying, though, that um, it is time for – uh, a gut check and to figure out what expectations everybody needs to have for Bits Jones, not just this year, but into the future, because, you know, he's recruited well. There's been some attrition there as, you know, we're seeing that all across the college football landscape, but at some point he's got to start winning. And at some point he either wins the SEC because the SEC East has been down. It's been, 
you know, it's not been the, the, the division, the whole SEC is, in fact, I predicted a down year for the SEC this year. And for that reason, it is really time for Butch Jones to step up and show that he, he is the coach that the, the Tennessee Volunteers deserve. Well, he was an outstanding coach at Cincinnati. Yeah, I lied. I've absolutely. got one more coach. I've got one more question for you. Conley Cowherd yes. made the switch from ESPN to Fox. Yes. I know he's trying to make a name for himself. Mm-hmm. But on Tuesday, he made the comment that the Ohio State Buckeyes could run through the SEC unbeaten. That was in response to Bielema coming out and making that bonehead statement that he made last week. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Could they? Uh, Colin Cowherd says a lot of dumb things, and that's about <laughs> all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Do you think Ohio State could? No. No. Who I think. Beat listen, I think if Ohio State had to play in the SEC where teams regularly beat up on one another, uh, the conversation would be a lot different. Okay, we're we're going to end it and agree to disagree on that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sharona, what's your what's your Twitter handle? You can follow me on Twitter at Sports by Sharona. Sounds good. Hey, thanks for joining. Thanks us. for it's having me, great. guys. Our thanks to Sharona for being our guest here this evening on the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. A lot of football going on this weekend. Let's take a look at the schedules and. Let's take a look at my predictions for what's going to happen this weekend in the NFL. First of all, tonight on CBS, the Thursday night game. This is the game that has bumped Big Bang Theory to Monday night. This is the game, the Thursday night game of the week. The Denver Broncos didn't look very good last weekend in their victory over Baltimore. Peyton Manning looked like he was getting older and older and older by the drive. The Broncos are going to be in Kansas City. The Chiefs looked very good in their victory. I'm going to take the Chiefs at home on Thursday night football to beat the Broncos this week. Now let's go to the Sunday games. And there's a lot of 1 o'clock games on Sunday. First of all, the Tennessee Titans will be in Cleveland to take on the Browns. This is the Browns' home opener. It will be at 1 o'clock on CBS. Tennessee looked really good, as I said, against Tampa Bay. Marcus Mariota, he was the guy that Ray Farmer supposedly wanted, but Tennessee wouldn't trade that number two pick. The Browns, apparently they are going to go with Johnny Manziel. Now, from what I understand, if Josh McCowan passes his concussion protocol and practices tomorrow, then the Browns will go with McCown. But look for Manziel at quarterback. I think the Titans are going to blitz, 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 and more blitz against the Browns, no matter who the quarterback is. I'm going to take Tennessee to beat the Browns in the Browns' home opener. Elsewhere around the league at 1 o'clock on CBS, the Texans will be in Carolina taking on the Panthers and Cam Newton. The Texans are going to go with Ryan Mallett at quarterback over Brian Hoyer. The Texans fell apart last week in their loss. The Panthers, well, they need a victory. I think they're going to take this victory at home to open up their season at home. On 1 o'clock games, also on Fox, the 49ers, coming off of their win over Minnesota, will be in Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. The Steelers, this is their first game in 10 days. They opened up last Thursday night with a loss at New England. This is their home opener. I think they take the 49ers in this one. Also on Fox at 1 o'clock, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be in New Orleans to take on the Saints. Well, Jameis Winston is going to have to play a lot better football than he did last Sunday for the Buccaneers. And the Saints, well, they need a victory. This is their 
home opener. And I've got the Saints winning this one over Tampa Bay. Also on Fox at 1 o'clock, the Detroit Lions are on the road facing the Minnesota Vikings, who are coming home after their loss to the 49ers. The Lions, they need a win. So do the Vikes. I've got the Vikes winning this game. I just have a feeling Adrian Peterson is going to bust out after his 10-run, 31-yard performance against San Francisco on Monday night. Take the Vikings in that one. Also at 1 o'clock on Fox, the Arizona Cardinals are going to Chicago to the Windy City to take on the Bears. Jay Cutler looked a little bit better under new coach John Fox, but the Arizona Cardinals look very, very good under Carson Palmer and Bruce Arians. I've got the Cardinals continuing on to win on their game on Sunday in Chicago. At 1 o'clock on CBS, the New England Patriots, fresh off their win over Pittsburgh last Thursday night, are in Buffalo to take on the Bills. Buffalo hates the Patriots. The Patriots hate the Bills. Why? There's one common denominator. Rex Ryan. He's been with the Jets for the last three years. Well, now he gets the opportunity to beat up the Patriots with the Bills. I've just got an inkling that Buffalo is going to win this game. Yeah, the Pats are the defending champs. Yeah, they're 1-0. Yeah, they have Tom Brady. But Buffalo has got something to prove, and they are at home. I've got the Bills winning this game. The, another 1 o'clock game on CBS is San Diego at Cincinnati taking on the Bengals. It is always tough for a West Coast team to go east and play because it's normally about 10 o'clock in the morning, their time. Well, the Chargers... They're going into Cincinnati to take on the Bengals, and the Bengals looked good last week on the West Coast against the Oakland Raiders. I've got the Bengals winning this game. And there are two more 1 o'clock games on Fox. The first one, the Atlanta Falcons in New York to take on the Giants. I'm going to take the Giants to win that one. And then comes the RG3 Bowl, the St. Louis Rams on Fox taking on the Washington Redskins. Of course, these are the two teams that combined to make the big deal three years ago for RG3 to go to Washington. The Rams have made out like bandits. Washington hasn't. I've got the Rams winning this game in Washington over the Redskins. Now let's move to the 4 o'clock games. Two 4.05 games on CBS. The Dolphins will be in Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. Very short road trip for the Dolphins. They're not going to be affected at all by the road weary ways of their team heading into Jacksonville. I've got Miami winning this game. And Baltimore will be in Oakland taking on the Raiders with the other 405 game. I've got Baltimore winning this game over the Raiders because Derek Carr may or may not play. They have not cleared him to play with that bruised thumb from a week ago. At the 425 mark on Fox, the Cowboys are in Philadelphia taking on the Eagles. This is always a big rivalry. This one means even more because DeMarco Murray is with the Eagles now, and he was with the Cowboys a year ago. The Cowboys squeaked out a victory over the Giants on Sunday night. The Eagles lost a heartbreaker to the Atlanta Falcons in Georgia on Monday night. Well, I think the Eagles are going to get into the win column with this one. They need it. They'll get it at home, the Eagles to win over the Cowboys. On, on Sunday night at 8.30, it is the Packers and the Seahawks. Green Bay entertaining the Seahawks. Who can remember that game four years ago when the strike officials really screwed up a call that led the Packers to a win over the Seahawks? I've got the Packers winning again at home over the Seahawks. And now the Monday night game on ESPN, the Jets at the Colts. I've got the Colts winning that one over the New York Jets. And that's the way I see the NFL this week.
An already star-studded group of men waiting their turn to get into Canton got even more headlinier on Wednesday when the Pro Football Hall of Fame added Brett Favre and Terrell Owens to the list of nominees. Favre and Owens headline a group of 10 first-time nominees. Along the first-time nominees are Clinton Portis, Brian Westbrook, Keith Bullock, Mike Brabel, Darren Sharper, John Carney, and Ethan Albright. Favre, the Packers legend who spent some rather notorious times with the Jets and Vikings, is probably a stone-cold lock as a first ballot Hall of Fame selection. He retired as the all-time leader in a number of categories, and he's waltzing into Canton. Owens is an interesting case because there's already a backlog of wide receivers trying to get in. That includes Marvin Harrison, Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Sterling Sharp, Jimmy Smith, and Rod Smith. Owens just missed in John Breach's predictions for this class, and because of T.O.'s off-field antics, I think he's probably going to have to wait a year, maybe two, if Randy Moss stays retired. Well, not only is the Thursday night game going on CBS this evening in the NFL, but there's college football action happening tonight, tomorrow, and again on Saturday, of course. Tonight's game has number 11, Clemson, 2-0 on the year, heading to winless Louisville. Louisville right now is a five and a half point underdog. Clemson should win this game tonight. It'll begin, oh, it began just a few minutes ago, and that game is on ESPN. Tomorrow night on ESPN, also at 8 o'clock, number 9, Florida State, they're 2-0. They're going to take on the 2-0 Boston College Eagles, and that will be tomorrow night, as I said, on ESPN. Now, let's go to the games on Saturday. Here's the noon starters. On ABC at noon, Air Force is at number 4, Michigan State. Both teams are unbeaten at 2-0. At noon, also on ESPN, a couple of 2-0 teams again. Connecticut will be at number 22, Missouri. At noon on Fox Sports 1, 2-0 Tulsa will be at 2-0 Oklahoma. They're ranked 16th this week. On Saturday at noon on the SEC Network, 1-1 Nevada will be at the 2-0 Texas A&M Aggies. They are ranked 17th this week. Now let's move to 1230 games. There's just one. Number 23, Northwestern, will be at Duke. At 2 o'clock on the Pac-10 Network, it will be Georgia State taking on number 12, Oregon. At 3.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, the University of Texas in San Antonio will be at number 25, Oklahoma State. That game is not being televised on Saturday. On NBC Saturday afternoon at 3.30, number 14, Georgia Tech will be at number 8, Notre Dame. On ABC at 3.30, Northern Illinois will be at number 1, Ohio State. The Buckeyes 2-0. and Let's see who they start at quarterback on Saturday. On CBS, the SEC, of course, number 18, Auburn, will be at number 13, LSU. This will only be the second game that LSU has played this year. Also at 3.30 on the Big Ten Network, Troy will be at number 24, Wisconsin. At 6 o'clock on ESPN, South Carolina goes to Georgia. The Bulldogs are ranked 7th this week. At 8 o'clock Saturday night, Southern Methodist will be at number 3, TCU. On ABC, the nationally televised game, at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, Stanford will be at number 6, South uh, Southern Florida. Also, on ESPN at 9.15, it will be Ole Miss, number 15 in the country, 
at number two, Alabama. And at 10.30 on CBS Sports Network, number 21, Utah, will be at Fresno State. On Fox Sports 1 at 10.30, Brigham Young, number 19 in the country, plays at number 10, UCLA. And the final game on the Pac-10 Network, Northern Arizona, will be at number 20, Arizona. That's your look at the college football schedule for this weekend. Well, the wild card races are pretty much wrapped up in Major League Baseball and the National League. But in the American League, things are heating up. First of all, Toronto is winning by three and a half games over the New York Yankees. Kansas City in the Central Division is winning by ten over the Minnesota Twins. And Texas just took a half-game lead over the Houston Astros. So the New York Yankees and Houston Astros are the wild card teams right now in the American League. But Minnesota's just a game and a half back. The L.A. Angels are three and a half back. And don't look now, but the Cleveland Indians are now four games back. And they've got one more game tonight against the Kansas City Royals. Actually, in the National League, the pennant races are pretty much all set, where the division winners are going to be the New York Mets, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the L.A. Dodgers. The two wildcard teams are also set. Pittsburgh will be one of the wildcard teams, while the Chicago Cubs will be the second wildcard team. And Pittsburgh and Chicago have been playing over the last week, and they have been playing some outstanding baseball. Now, some big series going on around Major League Baseball this weekend. The St. Louis Cardinals will be in Chicago taking on the Cubs. The New York Yankees will be playing an interleague game against the New York Mets this weekend. And the LA Angels are playing the Twins. And the Twins and the Angels are battling for that last playoff berth against the Houston Astros. But some bad news coming out of Major League Baseball today. Milo Hamilton one of the great announcers of all time who called Houston Astros games for decades, passed away. He was 88 years old. Hamilton retired from broadcasting after the 2012 season, a career that spanned 67 years, including 50 of those in the major leagues. And his most famous call was this. He's sitting on 7-14. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. Milo Hamilton passing away at the age of 88. Finally tonight on the show, if Floyd Mayweather Jr. stays retired, he's going out with a whimper instead of a bang. Kevin Iole of Yahoo Sports reported that Mayweather's September 12th bout with Andre Berto, which Mayweather won in a 12-round unanimous decision, it was another ho-hummer that Mayweather was involved in, drew somewhere between 400 and 500,000 pay-per-views. That was the buys. That's the lowest total in nearly a decade. Sources differed on the actual total, but the sales nonetheless represent the overall tepid nature of the bout and was seen as an overwhelming mismatch from the start. Showtime Sports Executive Vice President and GM Stefan Espinoza 
spoke with Iol about the fight and said to a large extent everything they did coming off the massive May 2nd pay-per-view event with Manny Pacquiao was going to feel like a letdown, but not to this extent. Mayweather is now 49-0. He's tied the record for most victories undefeated-wise in a career with Rocky Marciano at 49-0. Now, Mayweather says he's retired. I don't think there's any way he is going to stay retired. I think Mayweather is probably going to come out of retirement in about a year to face off with Pacquiao again, and they'll try to duplicate that whole hummer that they had back in May, and that would give Mayweather the all-time record. My feeling is the only pay-per-view that is worth seeing right now out of boxing is if Floyd Mayweather Jr. steps into the ring with Ronda Rousey. That's the only way that anyone will ever buy another boxing pay-per-view event. And what happened to Vladimir Klitschko? I'd love to see him fight again. And Klitschko will be fighting again. Unfortunately, it is not going to be part of a pay-per-view. Klitschko is going to be fighting Britain's Tyson Fury on October 24th in a heavyweight championship bout. Klitschko has ruled the heavyweight division for almost a decade and added the WBA title to his WBO and IBF belts when he eased to a victory over David Hay back in 2011. Now, Klitschko is 39 years old. He's putting his belts on the line on October 24th against Fury in Dusseldorf, Germany. And as I said, that will be on the 24th of October. Klitschko's professional boxing record currently stands at 64 wins against three defeats, with nobody having come close to beating him since his last loss in 2004. Now, the 27-year-old Fury is currently undefeated at 24-0 and, oh, and has earned his shot at Klitschko following defeats of Joey Abel, Derek Chisora, and Christian Hammer since his return from a brief retirement in 2014. I would love to see that fight. I love to watch Klitschko fight. Unfortunately, it is not on any pay-per-view system as of yet. That's going to do it for tonight's show. It's been primarily football, baseball, and boxing. I guess you could say it's more than primarily. It's been all about football, baseball, and boxing. And we're going to have more football for you tomorrow night on UltimateSportsTalk.com when the Wayndale Golden Bears will be on the road to open up their Wayne County Athletic League schedule against the Norway Bobcats. The Bobcats won a state championship just four years ago, and the Bears are looking to win another conference title. They're coming off of their victory over Triway on last Friday night. Game time tomorrow night is at 7 o'clock. Pat Mitchell and I will be on the air with the pregame show at 6.30. And at 6 o'clock, you can join us for Golden Bear Rewind. It will be the last quarter of last Friday night's game against Triway. And don't forget, coming up this Monday night, it is the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark Donahue and I will be talking about the continuing exploits of the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. The Indians still trying to win a wild card spot while the Reds are just trying to get through the season. And I'll be back again next Thursday night with another Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, who produced tonight's show, and our thanks to Sharona from NFLfemale.com for being an excellent guest on the show. Thanks to her for joining us here this evening. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. Until next Thursday night at 7 o'clock, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week and a good night, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye.